0: Today's sponsor is Casper, an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. Get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash recode and using the promo code recode. Terms and conditions apply. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher, powered by digital media. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. You may know me as the new Star Wars villain, Darth Rayban, but in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. You can subscribe to Recode Decode at iTunes.com recodedecode Recode Decode, and while you're there, leave us a review. Today in the red chair is former Texas State Senator Wendy Davis. During this year's South by Southwest Festival, she launched Deeds, Not Words, a nonprofit that hopes to help millennial women bring about gender equality in their local communities using online tools. If her name rings a bell, it may be because State Senator Davis made national news in 2013 when she filibustered for 11 hours against a bill that would restrict abortion access in Texas. We're going to talk about that, about Donald Trump, about where millennials can be reached online. Wendy Davis, welcome to the show. Thanks, Carl. Thanks for coming in. You're not a geek. Can I confirm that? I'm a nerd. Nerd. Oh, you are. I want to hear all about that. Well, why don't you give people your background and, and then what you're doing now, this new initiative? How far do you want to go Oh, back? way back, Wendy. No, I mean, back when people got to know you, were, you were a state senator in Texas. Yeah. How did you get there? You I, were.
1: I came up through the city council. Mm-hmm. Um, I was one of those people like so many in this country, first-generation college student, I got involved in government, not because I had any thought or plan mm-hmm. to do that, but I went to city council to argue this is about something, actually in Fort Worth, Fort Worth Texas, okay. about something that mattered to me, and the next thing I knew, I was hooked. And I think that's often the story. We advocate for something. Mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. start seeing how the system works. We decide to fix the system by mm-hmm. becoming a part of it ourselves. I served for nine years on the city council, And then in 2008, I ran for a state Senate seat. Our state Senate seats are huge. They're about 800,000 people. They're larger than congressional districts. And I beat a Republican in a Republican district, which had not happened in Texas, like, ever. Mm -hmm. So it was pretty extraordinary. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think certainly my experience on the Fort Worth City Council and the fact that people knew me From that was very helpful and served for six years in Mm -hmm. the Texas Senate. A lot of people came to know who I was in 2013 because of that filibuster to try to stop an anti-reproductive rights bill, um, one that uh, formed the basis of the recent Supreme Court argument, the whole Mm -hmm. woman's health case. And that we're all crossing our fingers will turn out favorably for the women in our state. So,
0: you know, that was an interesting case because one of the things that happened, I think, for you is there's a lot of state senators in every state in our, our union, but you got a lot of attention online on Twitter and everywhere else. It sort of it became not just a television event, sort of. It, it got a lot of pickup in social media. A lot of support from all across the world for you and Um, not support.
1: It did. And, you know, it shows the remarkable power of the conversation that takes place in social media, Mm -hmm. because while that was going on through the day and building and building through the day, ultimately 200,000 people were watching the live stream. I don't even know the numbers of people who were engaged social media Wise, but the national mainstream media was ignoring what was happening. Right. And so, as a story, you mean the actual the story. Right? Yes, people made the news by doing it themselves, by mm-hmm. having a conversation in the marketplace of social media. And the person who founded Twitter. A week or so later, Mm -hmm. said, "This is exactly why I started this platform. This is the kind of thing I hoped would happen with it."
0: Right. Right. And what was your experience with it? Because you became a mini celebrity. I mean, it was it was fascinating to watch the debate online more than anywhere else. And I think it did get it. Eventually, got a lot of coverage everywhere. Um, but you really became a, it became much more interesting on the social, because both sides debated. Both sides debated the issue. And you yourself, um, there was the live stream. There was a lot of chatter on social media. And there was, you know, it was, it's sort of like Black Lives Matter, hashtag Black Lives. Mm-hmm. It's just these ideas get debated somewhere else now in politics.
1: It's true. And I think the reason that that moment caught the attention of so many people was that, it wasn't just this battle for our reproductive freedoms that we have found ourselves engaged in in the last few years. But it was kind of the whole dynamic that was happening that day. It's this petite female senator Mm -hmm. standing up against the bullying of a number of male senators on the floor. And Mm -hmm. that bullying kind of took place throughout the day in a way that really added to the dynamic of Mm -hmm. what was happening. And then at the very end of the day, I mean, literally we couldn't have written a storybook ending that would have been more beautifully poignant of what it means to get involved in Mm -hmm. a democratic action. I did not succeed in getting the filibuster past the midnight deadline. It was called ultimately to an end at about a quarter till midnight, Mm -hmm. And the people who had been there, the Capitol filled to capacity for the first time in its history, Mm -hmm. there were thousands of people there. And when they saw this unfairness, this injustice, this bending and breaking Mm -hmm. of the rules to bring an end to what they saw as a mechanism for their voices to be heard, Mm -hmm. they literally rose up and used their own voices and screamed with all their might, and because of them, we got past the midnight deadline. Mm -hmm. But then there was that little seediness that went on right at that time where the timestamp was changed and it was made to look as though it actually had passed before midnight so mm-hmm. there was every kind of dynamic imaginable mm-hmm. uh, going on and I think that's one of the things that made it such a um, widely watched event. absolutely absolutely it was really interesting I mean it's so interesting because a lot of our political
0: events are now done that way I mean I'm thinking we'll talk later about the Trump candidacy it's like the first Twitter president like really using Twitter yes. as, a, as, a, as a bully pulpit or bully, and I mean bully, (laughs) underlined. But you left the Senate then. What happened? You lose this
1: fight. We ultimately lost. The Mm -hmm. governor called another special session, Mm -hmm. and the bill passed. We're living with the consequences of that now. Yes, it was Rick Perry at the time. It's Greg Abbott now. And then it was 2014. 2013 was a filibuster. 2014 was coming up upon us. We had A gubernatorial race ahead, Rick Perry had announced that he was not going to run, Mm -hmm. and I stepped up to be the the Democratic candidate for that, and it was an unbelievably excruciating but also rewarding experience. We did not win. Yes, yes. very tough for a Democrat in Texas right now not because we are a red state, but because we are systemically a non-voting blue state. Mm -hmm. And, you know, cracking that that nut is really hard. What does that mean? We have 27 million people. What was the last Democratic? 1990 was her last successful race. She lost her race in 1994. That's true. And, you know, when you look at the demographic of our state, We ought to be voting blue, Mm -hmm. but Texas has the lowest voting percentage of any state in the country. Mm -hmm. We were the third lowest in the recent primary that Mm -hmm. was held there, and it's because our gerrymandering that's taken place over 20 years plus time has created these districts where – No matter how great your candidate is and how strongly you get out to support them, the deck is stacked purposefully so that you lose every single time. And it teaches people after a while that their voices don't matter. Mm -hmm. And then we also have, still percolating through the court system, the most onerous voter ID law in Mm -hmm. the country in existence in Texas right now. And that has certainly contributed to it. None of this is accidental, The challenge for us has been how do we unwind it? Mm -hmm. And it's really, really. A very very difficult challenge. So to, talk a little
0: bit about that election. What was that? You know, you obviously had gotten a lot of attention, and 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 some people didn't like your notoriety or attention. Good attention. What is the, like running now as a politician in any state, in any in any capacity? It's such a different atmosphere, correct? Te-
1: Texas is so unique. Mm-hmm. It, it's literally like that's a what country. they like to tell us. Texas <laughs> likes to tell us that. I mean, just by virtue of its size, mm-hmm. you know, it's a country in and to itself, and. There's a dynamic there, an incredible pride of place that people have about Mm -hmm. that state. It's very difficult to be someone with a message like uh, Bernie Sanders has or like Donald Trump has Mm -hmm. where you're inspiring people to be upset about the things they ought to be upset about Mm -hmm. or, in Donald Trump's instance, the things they ought not be upset about. That's a whole other topic It's hard to do that there because talking about the things that are broken in a state where people think it's the best state on earth Mm -hmm. can be very challenging. Mm -hmm. And certainly addressing all of the issues that need to be addressed and yet maintain the belief in voters' minds that you don't want to come in and wreck the whole system Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. a difficult line to walk.
0: Right. Now, Texas has a, a big tech industry. They have a very big, very, tech, big. very big Austin, in Austin. particularly
1: and yeah. Dallas as yeah. well.
0: What was going to be your focus? Were you ever going to focus on it? Because it's really interesting. Because it's really fallen behind in a lot of ways. Obviously, Dell is there, and and, yes. and that sort of led the revolution there in that regard. But there are a lot of startups there, and obviously, the South by Southwest is there. There's a lot of mood of tech, but it really, if I recall covering it back in the '90s and the 2000s. It was much more vibrant than what was going on. What, you know, that's one side of a state that's quite progressive. more yeah open-minded. How do you look at that? the sector? Were you going to push that at all as a governor?
1: Absolutely. And, you know, one of the challenges I think that we have in Texas, while Austin is this beautiful progressive blue bubble, Mm -hmm. and it has begun to attract industries where the employees and and the people who run those companies are progressively minded, it succeeds there, but it's much harder to succeed in other parts of the state where it's seen as backward and closed-minded in a lot of people's Mm -hmm. uh, viewpoints. When I was on the city council, I chaired the Economic Development Committee for a number of years, Mm -hmm. and I was kind of rare as a Democrat in that I truly believed in these public-private partnerships that help to create and to advance and to grow. Mm -hmm. Industry. And I had hoped to do that as governor too, and felt that I brought a real level of expertise to the table mm-hmm. about that. And not just how you use those tools to help grow jobs, but how you use them to make sure you're growing jobs where you really need them mm-hmm. in some of your systematically underrepresented, underemployed parts of your community. I think we did a beautiful job of that in Fort Worth, mm-hmm. and I'm really proud of the work that we did. And the fact that when we created economic incentives to create mixed-use developments, we were always cognizant of pushing so that everyone could have a place there, that we had always affordable housing units as a component Mm -hmm. of what we required, that we were very specific in our requirements that minority and women-owned businesses be given a piece of the pie in both construction and supply and services. And we put our money where our mouth was in that regard. We had very real uh, accountability measures in place that really don't exist at the state level as they mm-hmm. need to. There's a lot going on at the state level in Texas and probably elsewhere where those accountability measures aren't really right. being implemented and, and we're not realizing and the goals ways, we want to many ways, those social measures. I
0: mean, what's happening in North Carolina and Georgia, exactly. tech has been very vocal about not That's locating right. there, and it's, of course, one of the biggest industries That's and the most right. promising industry. It's something that I wonder if Texas moves in that direction,
1: especially around a range of social issues. I, certainly tech hope, I hope to see that. And so I think hope because to see of the, the strong down. tech presence right. that we will see more of it. And I'm very proud to say that Fort Worth-based American Airlines, mm-hmm. for example, has been very prominent in pushing back against mm-hmm. some of these discriminatory mm-hmm. uh, legislative actions. And the more we see private companies stepping up to the plate and pushing back on that, and it's not just this lonely battle of people trying mm-hmm. to fight their city halls or mm-hmm. state legislatures, It really is going to be the key thing that helps us. Yeah, I think so. It's really
0: interesting. All right, we're going to make a break to give a sponsorship, and then we'll get back with Wendy Davis, former state senator of Texas, who's here in Silicon Valley to talk about her new initiative around gender diversity. Today's show is brought to you by GoCD, the open-source continuous delivery server created by ThoughtWorks. GoCD is a customizable, highly scalable delivery tool for growth-oriented teams. GoCD offers businesses a first-class, built-in deployment engine for complete control and visibility. So say goodbye to release day panic and hello to consistent, predictable deliveries. Commercial support and enterprise add-ons, including disaster recovery, are available. To learn more, visit www.go.cd. Today is also sponsored by Casper. Casper made a perfect mattress and sells it directly to consumers to save you money. The Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. It combines springy latex and supportive memory foams to create an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. Shipping to both the U.S. and Canada is completely free, and there's a 100-day risk-free trial and return policy. If you don't love your Casper mattress, they'll pick it up and refund everything. These mattresses are made in America. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com recode and using the promo code recode. Stop paying for the mattress industry's inflated prices. Go to casper.com R-E-C-O-D-E and use the promo code recode. Terms and conditions apply. We're here with Wendy Davis, who is one of my heroes, who fought in Texas when she was a senator over uh, in a filibuster over laws that were restrictive to the ability to have abortions. And now she's here in Silicon Valley because she's doing what? Explain what you're doing, Wendy.
1: So I've just launched a new initiative, as you talked about at the top of the show Deeds, Not Words. It Mm -hmm. uh, borrows a motto that was used in the suffragette movement in the early 1900s. Women Mm -hmm. were tired of hearing talk about getting the right to vote. They wanted action. Mm -hmm. And that's where we are today. You know, we're tired of talk. There's so many areas where we still have yet to realize full gender equality in this country. And this is an effort to help connect young women their unbelievable intelligence and passion on these issues to some concrete actions through a digital hub Mm -hmm. that will be a place for them to gather, to communicate, to learn, to be inspired, I hope, Mm -hmm. and to receive tools and ideas about how they can plug in. As I travel around the country and speak to groups, so many times I'm asked by young women, what do we do? They're mm-hmm. so passionate, but mm-hmm. they they need some connection, mm-hmm. um, some way of connecting their passion to an action step, and and that's really where the so idea of this the digital hub came explain from. What you're- so one of the things I discovered as I began to think about what I was going to do next, I was looking around in the gender equality space, who's doing what, mm-hmm. and I found that even though I considered myself a leader in that area. Mm-hmm. I didn't know about so many of these organizations. Mm-hmm. There are fabulous uh, number of them doing amazing work. Mm-hmm. I have this great megaphone. I have a wonderful following with young women around the country, and I have an opportunity to help connect young women to so many terrific organizations that are happening. So part of this is a clearinghouse to mm-hmm. connect them to this, but also a place for them to come and meet each other, to share stories. I believe so strongly in the power of storytelling and to meet mentors and to uh, receive inspiration and guidance on ways that they can get involved. That's the digital hub piece of it. We'll also be doing a weekly newsletter where we're going to curate content that we hope will be very inspirational and uh, provocative for them, and we will be highlighting each week a change maker in the world, another young person who's doing mm-hmm. extraordinary things in their own way to hope to inspire others to do the same. And then I'm creating in this first year 10 college campus charters, working with young women on those campuses on a project of their choosing where we help them put together a, a toolkit to advance whatever that project looks like for them, connecting them to resources that are available to them to help them get that so project So there's been a lot done. of initiatives
0: in uh, Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In comes to mind. It sounds yeah. similar. Um, yeah. And all kinds of stuff like that. How do you imagine that uh, connecting people these days? Because it's a really interesting thing, the political action, again, it, there's a lot of hashtag you know what yes. I mean, but not real activism. Um even though it's terrific for people to speak out, there's it's harder to get people to join together than it used to be. There's a lot more. I think these digital technologies keep people apart just as much as they keep them together.
1: In some ways, I think that's true. I, I think if you go back to the day of the filibuster, it's the perfect example of how a hashtag is an important part of leading to activism, mm-hmm. right? The same could be what said. What was your hashtag? Oh, I've forgotten. It was stand with Wendy, ah, stand oh. with Planned Parenthood. Right the same can be said of black lives matter mm-hmm. you know that started as a hashtag a communication Absolutely. device but it led to unbelievable and impactful activism mm-hmm. so for me this disconnect that sometimes exists with the hashtagism with the conversations that are going on in social media and the connection to the action is what I hope to be a part of creating a connection Mm -hmm. for, Mm -hmm. meeting young women where they are. This is their marketplace. This is where they're talking. This is where they're gaining their ideas and inspiration Mm -hmm. and helping to provide some toolkits for them to take that conversation to a concrete action step. Because I believe, just as I was once inspired as an advocate for something that I cared about, Mm -hmm. to then become a lifelong voter, a person who ran for office myself. I believe that this disconnect that we sometimes see with young women, for example, only 23% of eligible millennial voters voted in the 2014 midterm cycle, even though in those midterms, we are electing state legislatures that are deciding things that are so important and impactful in the area of gender equality. How do we help to inspire young women, not just to get active as an advocate on an issue that they care about, but to then become... That next group of people who are going to rule and run the world by 2020, millennials will be 40 percent of the total voting population right. in this country. So they'll be not voting then. <laughs> we have so they have so much power. We're seeing them use that power right now mm-hmm. in the presidential contest. Yeah, I mean Bernie Sanders wouldn't be where he was, where he right. is right now, without right. that. So I hope that that's going to create, you know, a lifelong legacy of people who will stay involved. Let's
0: talk about that gender equality. It's something you've always been interested in for a long time. It's a big issue here in Silicon Valley. What do you imagine to be some of the solutions? I mean, we obviously know the problems. There's pay equity. There's all kinds of what memes that people live in that they don't realize they're doing. What do you imagine the biggest issues are in creating, you know, even in tech, which is considered the most tolerant of the right. numbers are just astonishing. 70% all boards and 80%. Numbers are as if it's like an old car maker from the nineteen twenties. It feels really odd. And yes. you know, primarily white at the same time.
1: Yes. To go back to something I said a moment ago, I believe so strongly in the power of storytelling. Mm-hmm. Taking these issues out of the abstract, so many times we hear these statistics. Two-thirds of women make up minimum wage earners in mm-hmm. this country. A third of those are mothers. We know the statistic that seventy percent of women are those who make up the sub-minimum wage level for tipped workers, for example. We know that women are earning 79 cents to a man's dollar, and it's even lower for women of color, 65 cents to a man's dollar. We know all of those statistics. We know that that's not a world that we want to live in, those of us who are progressive. (laughs) Um, And yet, we haven't made a connection to those numbers – and the reality of how we fix them. I think it begins with making sure that we put experiences on the table so that people understand the very real human impacts behind them. Mm -hmm. But I also think some of the most successful efforts in the political arena come about when we understand our own self-interest in fixing them, right? Mm -hmm. And these issues for women's equality, creating true opportunity for women, both at the educational level, making sure they have the support that they need for affordable, quality childcare, making sure that we have appropriate family leave policies and pay policies, making sure that women have reproductive rights because without them we cannot control our economic destinies. All of that is a part of equalizing opportunity. And it only comes about where we can understand that as a society, unless and until Women reach their full potential. Though it sounds canned, it is so true. When women fail, we all fail. When women do better, we all do better because we are such an important part of this economy and companies from a very self-interested perspective. And I think more and more are coming to see this need to understand that unless they are a part of the solution to creating workplace policies and pay policies that are supportive of women, those dollars that ought to be coming into the economy, that ought to be supporting mm-hmm. their businesses and can, and helping to grow our economy, are not going to exist. So this site
0: will exist. You'll have the site and you'll have these initiatives off the site and stuff like that. Do you consider it a digital effort or an organization with a digital effort?
1: It's largely a digital effort that will serve as an organizational tool. Mm -hmm. And who's funding this? Who's adding? I'm in the fundraising mode right now. Anyone who's listening who who would like to to donate, we are fiscally sponsored by a 501c3 organization. So we Mm -hmm. are a nonprofit taking charitable donations for it. But I really believe in the power of this work, and I believe in the opportunity and the privilege that I have to speak to an audience of young women and to help mentor them. Mm -hmm. So you're out here fundraising, and you need to need a certain amount of money to do this. And the goal being
0: not to create a social network for women is that what you I'm trying to get an idea of what you're ultimately trying to do. A community. community. I guess that's the best word
1: I could attach to it. So you're
0: going to have the website.
1: You're going to have the newsletter. Are you Snapchatting Wendy? I to Snapchat. I'm going to move into the Snapchat <laughs> arena. We're, we're talking about what that will look like oh, as part of careful. our platform right it's now. Quite, it's it's <laughs>
0: not the, it's not for the faint of heart to do that. Anyone over 12, really, that's what I'm saying. twelve <laughs> has to be very careful when they're entering that arena.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty good, and I'm just terrible at it. So soundtrack. what you're saying is I need to hire a 12-year-old I, to run my Snapchat. Something 13 is okay. 14 is
0: the upper end of it. No, no. It's just there's a lot of – it's really funny because it's really having impact Uh, Same thing with Facebook Live and some other tools and stuff like that. All right, we're here talking with Wendy Davis about our new initiative, which is to reach millennial women and talk about issues of gender equality, which is a rather serious issue uh, here in Silicon Valley, too. When we get back after our sponsor, we'll be talking about politics and what's happening in this country because gender issues have become a big issue in this election. Today's show is sponsored by Walker Corporate Law. Are you an entrepreneur or startup looking for legal help for either financing, acquisition, or incorporation? If so, then you should consider checking out Walker Corporate Law. It's a different kind of law firm where they only have lawyers of 10 to 25 years of experience. That means you're going to get personal attention from a senior lawyer, not a junior lawyer getting on the job training. They also encourage fixed fees because they believe that when lawyers bill by the hour, it rewards inefficiency. So check them out at walkercorporatelaw.com or you can call the founder, Scott Walker, at 415 415- 979-9999. That's walkercorporatelaw.com at 415-979-9999. And now I'm going to hand it off to my colleague, Jason Del Rey, to tell you about the Code Commerce Conference.
1: Thanks, Kara. At Recode, we're about to unveil a new series of one-night events called Code Commerce. And the first one is coming up soon, on the evening of Tuesday, May 17th, in Las Vegas, Nevada. Kara and I will be on stage interviewing Zappo CEO Tony Shea, Target.com president Jason Goldberger, and the real, real founder and CEO Julie Wainwright. It's going to be a fun night of unscripted conversations about what's working in both online and brick and mortar commerce, what's not working, and most importantly, what comes next. Hope to see you there.
0: Thanks, Jason Del Rey. To apply for an invitation to the first Code Commerce event in Las Vegas, visit recode.net slash events. That's Code Commerce Conference, May 17th in Las Vegas. More information at recode.net slash events. We're here with former Texas State Senator Wendy Davis, who's here on an initiative to create a site that will bring millennials into the discussion about gender equality, correct? Yes, t-
1: bring them into activism on gender Deeds, equality. Deeds, not words. Deeds, not words. Deeds, not
0: words. And what's interesting is this election has been about that. It's a really interesting, it's coming to California. The primaries are coming to California very soon. And it's that's sort of been a big issue, largely because of really horrible things. One of the candidates, Republican candidate, Donald Trump has made about women, and it's become a big issue. Let me get your take. You're a big political person. What do you – how do you look at this election? You know, I I think
1: there's so many layers to this conversation. We could talk about it for hours.
0: (laughs) Um, And we all do. That's one good thing.
1: (laughs) I can just tell you, in my gubernatorial election, I certainly felt the sting of gender inequity. Mm And yet, when I was asked by the press, do you feel like you're being treated differently because you're a woman? I answered no. And Mm -hmm. I answered no because I was afraid of coming across as a victim. Mm -hmm. But if I could go back and do it differently, I would. Mm -hmm. Because I think part of the power in changing that dynamic is to call it out when Mm -hmm. it's happening. I was watching that very first Republican debate when Megyn Kelly was questioning Donald Trump and she asked him about some of his former comments about Rosie Mm -hmm. O'Donnell. And not only did he not apologize, but he doubled down on them. And the camera panned the audience. People were laughing and applauding. Women were laughing and applauding. Mm -hmm. And I was horrified Mm -hmm. as I watched it, thinking that we are part of our own problem, that unless and until we as women say, that's not acceptable. You know, we may disagree about each other's political positions and ideologies, But the idea that we would ever find it acceptable for women to be demeaned as part of the public conversation, I think is something we really need to do a lot of soul searching about. And we need to call it out more because it is almost so acceptable in the conversation that it goes unnoticed when it's happening. Mm -hmm. I watch with fascination what I see happening in the ways that Hillary Clinton has characterized and talked about. Some of the conversations going on on social media that have so much misogyny behind them. And yet, we don't see the same kind of public outcry and mm-hmm. response to that that we would if we inserted race right, instead. Absolutely. Or if we inserted sexual orientation now, mm-hmm. might have been very differently only even three or four years ago, but now mm-hmm. our consciousness has come to a, a different place there. It is so still acceptable in the marketplace of conversation to demean women based on gender that we've got to do a better job of calling attention to it and making sure that we draw a line that says this is not it was interesting Here
0: in Silicon Valley, we had a trial that was quite uh, contentious. Ellen Powell is yes. a gender discrimination trial. And what was interesting is at the same time the anti-gay issues were going on in Indiana, and we could get any CEO to talk about that they jumped to defend uh, gay people saying we're going to yes. pull out of the state. But when we went to those same people and asked them, can you give a comment on this? No, not touching it. And mm-hmm. at one point they said, it's the third rail of technology. We're not going to talk about this issue mm-hmm. because it only gets into the trouble, which is really difficult because there's certain leaders like Sheryl Sandberg and others that tried to get the conversation going, but mm-hmm. it's really, it still remains one that, a very dicey one to have. And I wouldn't say these people are, they use the term unconscious bias here in Silicon Valley, which means they don't hmm. mean it. I am against that term because I think it's very conscious. Yes. Um, but w- what's interesting is that there is, has finally been a backlash in the political area around it, which I don't know if will help or not. This recent spate of stuff that Donald Trump has said has, seems to have stuck in a yes. way that's not good for Donald Trump.
1: Yes, as he talked about punishing women. You know, mm-hmm. that obviously struck a chord. So you can say they're fat, but it, you cannot talk about punishing <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah, you can call them bimbos. Bimbos, um, yeah. But what's fascinating about that, though, mm-hmm. is... I believe, if it had just been people on the progressive side of the aisle who reacted to that comment, it wouldn't have had nearly the play or the impact. The reason it had play and impact Mm -hmm. was because the far right itself said, whoa, wait a minute, don't call it that, Mm -hmm. because they know that that language around abortion and Mm -hmm. abortion rights is actually very harmful to their cause. So for them, this was about damage control for John Q. Public's perception about what the abortion fight is all about, mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons that that particular comment got so much yeah, attention.
0: absolutely. But
1: think of so many of these other things that he's said and been engaged in as right. it comes to... His I'm not bias, sure the white stuff about bias. Ted Cruz.
0: I know you probably know him well if from your Texas. Politics. I know him. I wouldn't. Say I mean, that no I, know I know him well. You well. know him better than I do. Um, but the, the stuff around his wife also, I think, yes. got attention too. It was at the same time. Yeah, I think obviously. because
1: it layered on almost simultaneously mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with that, it it created some real damage. Well, is that good or bad? To, how do young
0: women think of this? I mean, you're obviously talking to a lot of them. What? This
1: is this is what I fear for young women because I do get asked this question mm-hmm. a lot too. You know, how do you handle handle that? What do you do when that's happening to you? I think it's up to women who are in leadership roles, whether it's in the private arena like Cheryl Mm -hmm. or in the public arena like Hillary, for women to show that we will not be silenced by attempts to do so. When you look at conversations that go on on social media – there is such an effort to silence women going mm-hmm. on there, threatening mm-hmm. um, activities yeah, that occur the and bullying. And the harassment. it can it can be so scary for young women. And what happens is it shuts down the conversation. Right? <laughs> we have got to show that we will not be quieted. We will not be silenced. We are going to continue with these conversations, and we're going to continue to call it out when we see it. It's the only way we're ever going to move the ball forward. But let's go back to storytelling for a moment, too. I believe so strongly that part of why we succeeded in getting to where we are with LGBTQ equality in Mm -hmm. this country was we began to put a face on that issue and made it real and made Mm -hmm. it human and made people sit up and take notice of the fact that human beings were being impacted by this in very negative ways. We need to do the same thing for gender equality.
0: But how do you do that? It's interesting because it's a a much bigger and broader topic because there's so many different kinds of ways. It's a more difficult thing. I mean, I think what happened in the the gay and lesbian area is, you know, you suddenly had these media depictions that were quite kind uh, and good. And, you know, Ellen's so nice. Oh, those nice guys from Modern Family. Oh, that nice Anderson Cooper. Isn't he so handsome? I mean, there was a lot of, like, that around it. I think comfort levels became different. And I'm not quite sure how you... Change it on a larger, this is such a much bigger, larger scale. But I maybe.
1: think there's a lot of power in doing it through our daughters mm-hmm. and through our mothers. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I think about storytelling and the power of that, one of the ideas I have for our site is for very young women to tell the stories of much older women and vice versa, to place ourselves in each other's shoes and to live through each other's stories what the experiences are like in each other's lives. Every one of us has a mother. Mm -hmm. Um, Every one of us has a stake in women being treated fully Mm -hmm. and equally in this country. And most men who have daughters care very much about this through the lens of the experiences of their little girls. Mm-hmm. I think that's a powerful way to get at it. What do you, uh, you mean, one of the things you did discuss is the social media does shut things down.
0: It gets very ugly. We have an initiative called hack harassment, which is, mm-hmm. I think it's really quite astonishing, the stuff that goes on online. How do you, are you going to deal with that? Because that's something you'd be a target of it. You've been a target
1: of it. I, I have been. And I think that Providing training tools for young women on how to move through that successfully themselves is an important part of it. Modeling how to do it is key, but also giving young women the skills and the resources to do it themselves. What what have you done? Because
0: I've seen stuff about you that's just been
1: vile. Yeah, it's pretty nasty. So I have my own, you know, kind of survival tactics in that regard. I don't give much credence to it because I've built skin that's Mm -hmm. as Thick as leather right now. <laughs> but I have to separate myself from it sometimes. That's how I maintain a healthy approach. Yeah, we had about Lena it. Dunham
0: on, it and she said, she just goes off. She went off of it. She yeah. went off of Twitter completely.
1: Yeah. I, I stayed on it because I don't want to leave the conversation. I think they win when we leave the conversation. Mm-hmm. But I don't read their comments. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't sit up at night worrying about all the different things that people said about mm-hmm. an appearance I had or a statement that I made. I think we have to continue to be forceful in the things that we believe and fight for those things and put our head down and ignore the terrible noise oh, that can I sometimes engage. come around us. I like
0: to engage. I think it's they're shocked by it. Yeah. I'm always like, I just actually right before I got on, someone didn't like my tone in a story I wrote. And I was like, oh, so nice to be lectured by you. You're not going like, to do what I want. It was very interesting. But it was a very luxury man tone, you know, that was really mm-hmm. interesting. So, to finish up, when you said you started off, you said you were a geek or a nerd, or one of them. Which one? I, I said I was a nerd.
1: nerd. I was that Ed, and just, you know, I was smart when I was in school, yeah. and it was at a time when you being dead. smart was not cool at all. For a girl, right? Yeah. yeah and mm-hmm. my mother reminds me of coming home from school and crying and saying, I wish I weren't so smart. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, now we raise our young girls to be very, very proud of themselves mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. they're smart well, as smart, we What, were you math should. smart? Were you- I actually had, um, I had the privilege of being both math smart and English smart. Mm-hmm. So... That was nice, you Mm -hmm. know. And my father made me feel proud about that. He raised me to feel like that was something that was just a a big deal when you're talking about these issues. Absolutely. I mean
0: what's interesting around tech is that a lot of girls are pushed away from it very Mm -hmm. early on Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of initiatives to try to stop that but it's still, it's a persistent problem Um, and it has a lot to do about pride around math and science Mm -hmm. Um, and moving not just girls but certain types of people out of the sector, which of course is where all the jobs are
1: Yes, I think we're doing a better job with our young girls in school helping to encourage them as they weren't encouraged before but the problem is then they hit the marketplace Mm -hmm. and they run headlines Long into right. what can be often very surprising for them because they hadn't experienced it mm-hmm. necessarily in their educational yeah. settings, and that's incumbent upon these employers to ensure yeah, they're Maria Cla- Clawway,
0: who's head of the Harvey Mudd College, which is a, a, a largely women focused organization at college, really great technical college, and she's been sort of aiming at the men who shut women down. There's always Mm -hmm. a programmer who ruins it for everybody. Not Mm -hmm. just women, but certain people who should be in the tech sector that aren't because they're turned off by a certain kind of mentality in tech, which is interesting. Which is we know, which extends I just am focused on it because it's the mo- the biggest employer. It's where all the jobs are. Sure. It's where things are happening. Yeah. So when you look at this election, what do you imagine's gonna happen? I gotta you're a political expert compared to me.
1: I am supporting Hillary Clinton. So I imagine you haven't felt the because I'm an optimist, mm-hmm. I imagine her becoming president. And I believe that to my core, that that is what will happen. I Mm -hmm. think it's going to be a rough road along the way, but I know she's up to it. I think that Bernie Sanders being in the race has been extraordinarily good. Mm -hmm. Um, I have tremendous admiration for him and his ideas, and I am thrilled to see how excited a lot of new voters have gotten about Mm -hmm. participating. It's exciting to see the dynamic that plays out And proves to people that their $5 donations can really make a difference Mm -hmm. when they're added to hundreds and thousands of other donations that look like that. And I think that the values that are being pushed by young and not so young people in the Democratic primary have made both of these candidates better and Mm -hmm. forced them to be speaking to their values. And that's what's supposed to happen in democracy I wish I could say the same uh, the for Republic. the Republican side of the aisle, but I'm very proud of the two candidates that are in this and conversation on the, the, the Democratic side. Repo- what's happening on the Republican side? He, he's tapped into anger. I mean, he's George Wallace, you know, come alive again. He's tapped into people's anger and fear relative to race and gender, and it's a very powerful tool. Mm -hmm. Many politicians have employed it. They've been more subtle about it. Mm -hmm. Um, He's just being much more overt. So in some ways, it's sort of refreshing in its honesty. At least we see it for exactly what it is. Mm But it is disappointing to see it working. We thought we were so much further than this in the mm-hmm. year 2016 as a country, and to see so many people responding as favorably and strongly as they have to that message is pretty remarkable.
0: It is. That's a sad note to end on. I will end on one last thing. What, what's your favorite gadget? I always ask that of people. It's my iPhone. Your I iPhone? Live
1: on my iPhone. Your iPhone. Do you have yeah. an iPhone 6 Plus? No, I have the six, the smaller the one. The smaller one. Yeah. Oh, okay.
0: um, and, you, you, and you use technology almost regularly. Kind yes. Of stuff. Good. Yeah. Well, again, your site is called, what is the URL? It's, it's deedsnotwords.com. Deeds, oh, wow, you got that. That's yeah. good. Good it for did. you. I know. And it's launched? It has launched.
1: We had our soft launch during South By. The full website yep. launch will be May 18th. Fantastic.
0: Wendy Davis, thanks for coming in. Thank you, Carl. If you enjoyed this interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. Be the first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes, including some really fantastic interviews I've done with Steve Case, Secretary of Defense Ash Carter, and Trey Vasello and Michelle Madansky, who co-authored the big report about gender in tech called Elephant in the Valley. You can find all those interviews and more at recode.net slash decode. Now that you're done with this, why not try our other podcasts? Recode Media with Peter Kafka comes out every Thursday. On Fridays, I host Too Embarrassed to Ask along with Lauren Good of The Verge. And on Recode Replay, you can find audio from our events like the Code Conference, Code Media, and soon, Code Commerce. This year's Code Conference should be terrific. We have Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, and Sheryl Sandberg. So listen for those to come in June. Thanks for listening. This has been another episode of Recode Decode. Remember to subscribe to the show and leave us a review at iTunes.com slash Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Monday with another great guest. Tune in then. This has been Recode Decode hosted by Kara Swisher, powered by digital media. For more hard-hitting interviews with insiders from the worlds of tech, media, and politics, subscribe to Recode Replay on iTunes, featuring candid conversations with leading voices like AOL CEO Tim Armstrong, Goldman Sachs' CIO Marty Chavez, the team behind the hit TV show Empire, Shark Tank investor Mark Cuban, and presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. They're all on Recode Replay.